0: Welcome to part two of episode nine of the STEM Sync Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal McClain, amplifying unique life stories to encourage and motivate people of color with an interest in science, technology, engineering, and math. Today, we continue the conversation with Dr. Ayana Langston as she tells listeners more about her Dr. Langston rising journey and what is required to become a physician with the U.S. Navy Medical Corps. I won't keep this introduction long as we ended part one with a cliffhanger. I asked Dr. Langston if attending the University of Maryland at College Park, a predominantly white institution, prepared her for her experience in medical school at Wake Forest University. Now let's think. I look forward to you
1: getting back into your uh, women, what is it called?
2: Woman talk Wednesdays.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> the this is where the, you know, the, uh, the big, your big sisters were just like, girl, we didn't know you were all into this. So oh, I find yeah. this fascinating. I don't talk about we did. This stuff a lot. I don't know. I don't know what people are interested
2: in. Which is,
1: which is why you should, because you're brilliant. You are brilliant. And, and that's why I'm just like, you can't, you would be surprised at how much people probably want to hear from you. And we haven't even gotten into your naval officer thing. We haven't even touched in that yet.
2: Well, here, let me, let me speed the story up so we can get to, we can get to
1: the meat. I do have, I do have one question before we go there. Of course, of course. So you're going through these years, one through four, Mm -hmm. do you feel like going to a predominantly white institution helped you to prepare for medical school in that you're one of a smaller, smaller amount of people? That is an excellent question. Let me
2: hmm. Um do I think it helped me? No. Do I think it hurt me? No. I think I I think there are people who I went to medical or my post back or any educational program that I was in who had a different experience than myself. I had a friend who uh, went to Morehouse um, undergrad and grew up in Winston-Salem, especially in the parts of Winston-Salem that are predominantly Black, because there are parts, a lot mm-hmm. of them. Um, and I think she had a different experience than I had. I think I've spent a lot of my life, I grew up in Prince George's County, right? The richest county for you know Black Americans in this country, if it mm-hmm. still is. But I've always been in a space where I was always with a lot of white people, but I was able to very easily find my Black community in that space.
1: Mm-hmm. I've always been
2: able to find my niche, and I mm-hmm. think the reason is because it's, a, um, it's an environment that I'm used to, okay. right? I don't know how else to say it more than that. I'm used to, like, with the career that I've chosen and the type of spaces that I find myself in for various, you know, reasons. It's all, I'm always, you know, one of five or one of two or one of one in a room. That is not an odd thing to me. It doesn't bother me anymore. It's honestly kind of par for the course for me. It's that way. It was that way in undergrad, you know, I went to University of Maryland, but I was able to find Zeta. I was able to find my community and I Mm -hmm. felt very comfortable with that community. So Mm -hmm. everything else was kind of like you know, didn't bother me. Went to my post program. The postback program was in Wake Forest's larger community, but it was a very tight-knit program. I told mm-hmm. you, 12 students, right? Yeah. And I had, this, had friends I met in that program I'm still friends with today. I went to medical school. A lot of those same friends I met in my postback program came with me to medical school. Okay. So I, there was no real pressure for me to meet other friends or get to know other people. I was very comfortable. And I would say med school is probably the biggest shock factor, just because in medicine, you have no choice but to interact with both the patients and the staff. Mm-hmm. And Wake Forest is very much a um, legacy school. So, mm-hmm. you know, people that were in my class, their parents went to Wake Forest and were doctors and their grandparents went to Wake Forest and were doctors. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, I don't know anybody that's a doctor okay. in my family or otherwise. That's but, you know, so that was probably the biggest shell shock, but I don't think it mm-hmm. ever really hurt me because again it was something I was very accustomed to it was just understanding that like in my journey on the path that I'm on not a lot of people that look like me do this so you know the higher you climb the more and more comfortable you have to become with being the only one
1: I think I learned that at an early age that's really good I'm glad that you were able to understand the question and provide such a really good response so let's talk about this naval medical corps i mean <laughs> i like i was telling you before we got started i'm still shocked i'm still shocked that you're in a navy not for any reason other than I'm shocked to girl <laughs> you know it's just different so how did you become a naval medical officer well no <laughs> um so keeping it all the way 100
2: the navy was not really something i ever really wanted um I knew about it because both of my parents met in the United States Navy. Um, I knew it was always an option. You know, my parents were very much, hey, we can't afford to send you here. You should consider the military. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I have, you know, I have two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, all of which I got some help with, but had loans, lots of loans. And I knew I wanted to go to medical school. So I, you know, started to look at options for how to pay for medical school. And honestly, I found a scholarship that I was really interested in, and there was a specific administrative reason why I was not eligible for that scholarship, and so I kind of ran out of options. Um, so I really gave the military some more thought, and I talked to a couple people. Not there weren't a ton, um, and there definitely weren't any black ones. But I talked to a few people at Wake Forest who um, had done the scholarship that I was specifically looking at. It's called the Navy HPSP, Health Service Professional Scholarship Program. Wait. Health Professions, that's it. Health profession Scholarship Program, HPSP. Um, every branch of the military has one, Navy, Army, Air Force, uh, not the Marines. They don't have military personnel, but every everyone else does. And I looked at it and it was a full ride so to speak for medical school all four years paid for and a stipend of twenty thousand dollars for joining especially if you agree to the all four years so yeah after talking to a lot of people um about it honestly i was i was pretty freaked out because again the military was not something that i really wanted but i realized that i was already in medical school so you know, they weren't going to send me to fight on the front lines. They, if they're paying for me to go to medical school, then they're going to want me to work as a physician, right. not as a gunner's mate or as a <laughs> infantry or anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think once I wrap my mind around the fact that, yes, this was not my first choice, but it was still a good option for me to pay for medical school, put a little money in my pocket and potentially see the world. I started to consider it more, more, um, more realistically. Uh, and so I joined the military officially as a reservist while I was still in medical school. I believe that was 2017, maybe 2017, 2018, one of those years. Um, and yeah, I signed and been in the reservist all through medical school. That's usually how it works when you're on scholarship. Okay. Is they don't interrupt your education. You just considered reservists um they pay you you go to school and that's it and then when you graduate you are required to come on active duty you still apply for your residency just like you normally would but depending on what your specialty of choice is they have a little bit of say about where you do your residency at so I did not necessarily know all of this going into it. Um, I think I didn't understand a lot of what happened after I graduated from medical school. All I knew was, hey, I would have my degree, and I can deal with whatever came next. Um, I think that part of the journey was very blurry for me, and in hindsight, I wish I had have really understood more about military medicine and specifically Navy medicine and direction that it was going in before I signed. But again here we are. Um, And so the specialty that I wanted to do obstetric gynecology, the military was not keen on me doing or training in that specialty at a regular hospital, at a civilian institution. They only wanted me to train or really anybody going into my specialty on scholarship to train at one of their hospitals. So that is Walter Reed in Bethesda, Maryland, or uh, Naval Hospital Portsmouth in Virginia or San Diego.
0: I was going to ask you, which, where were your options? (laughs) That's what I was going to ask. Like, (laughs) all I could think about is Walter Reed and, okay, got it.
2: Those are my only three options. Um, I knew that during my fourth year, I found that out during my fourth year. Again, I was okay with it because I had an opportunity to visit these institutions while I was still in medical school, Mm -hmm. worked there for like a month and just interview there and start to get to know it. And I really wanted to go to Walter Reed, obviously, because it was home for me. And I had been mm-hmm. in North Carolina for five years. I was ready to come home. Um, and so I applied. And <laughs> um, I got what I wanted, but I also didn't get what I wanted. So That's like awesome. I said, it gets it could get a little complicated with military medicine. And I don't want to go too much in the weeds. That's but. Fine. That's fine. Essentially, they agreed to let me go to Walter Reed, but they would not let me go to Walter Reed as a straight up OBGYN intern. I had to do a different um, internship, which is your first year out of medical school. had to do a different type of program, a program that would still allow me to do OBGYN, but it Mm -hmm. would not limit me to just that specialty. And to be honest, I was really mad. (laughs) I was very mad for a very long time. Uh, Luckily it was 2020 and it was COVID. So I could just
1: be in my house
2: too. So I didn't really have to be out in the streets. But I'm not even gonna lie, I was very upset because I've been wanting to do OBJYN as a specialty forever. Um, But it's one of those things you have to, you kind of have no choice in once you decide you're going to join the military there is a little bit of anonymity where you just have to go with the flow so this was one of those things I just had to swallow Mm -hmm. um so yeah I was mad (laughs) but I moved to I moved back to DC Mm -hmm. in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and I didn't get to graduate walk across the stage from medical school um which sucked but I you know I got my degree which was really the most important thing and I came to Walter Reed. And I became a transitional year intern, which is the program I was doing.
1: Okay. And it's year. Is part of your military obligation while you're in medical school as a reservist? Is that do you have weekends, um, months? You know, once one weekend per month, do you have to go to, you know, do some sort of? um, Well, they call it drill, depending on what you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. No.
2: There is no obligation of any kind while you are in medical school because medical school is difficult and your priority is medical. The only thing you are required to do is you have to attend officer development school Mm -hmm. one time at some point before you go on active duty. And the reason is because you sign on a dotted line. To take your advanced degrees to the military as an officer, mm-hmm. but you've never had any experience with the military, so right. you have to learn the culture. Right. Now that I, is something I struggled with. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was gonna say, and how was that for you?
2: Officer development school was six weeks in Rhode Island, Newport, Rhode Island. Um, ooh,
1: ooh, it was what there rock- during the summertime.
2: I was not actually. I was there in April. No, I was there. I came right after my birthday. Yeah, so it was like April into May. Um, it was rocky. It was a very uh show, it was a, it was weird. It was a culture shock for me because I crystal, you know me, so you
1: I, know, I'm a little bit of a free spirit. That's and what said. <laughs> when I see you in your whites, I'm like, she looked good, but my goodness, I I'm can't not imagine. A rule follower. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a rule follower, and honestly, that was a problem for me.
2: I'm not gonna lie. You know, I didn't want to take out all of my ear piercings. I didn't mind the exercise. That's fine. I've always athletic athletic um, They didn't even really yell at us that much. And you know, that stuff didn't really sh- bother me either. So it was really just the rules like, was a problem for me, but you know, it was only six weeks. So I was like, you can get with the program for six weeks okay. like,
1: for six so weeks yeah, for it wasn't... a full ride through medical school.
2: Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, See, that, you know, I had to secure the bags. So, yes, so I made it through the six weeks and again, you know, in normal Ayana fashion, I met some awesome black women officers. So that helped me out to a lot who had more experience in the military than myself, who had been mm-hmm. in for many years and were just coming over from the side. They definitely held my hand a lot of the way. Like, Ayana, you can't be doing that. And I was like, Oh, my bad. Okay, thanks for getting to the <laughs> Like
1: So you had so, another yeah, community. So you had your community at medical school, and now you have another community of Black women going through the same process. I pick them up everywhere I go. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. So yeah,
2: I made it through, and that was my only requirement in medical school. But if you don't go through ODS, you will be lost in the sauce in every sense. I went through ODS, and I'm still confused if I'm being all the way honest. But I'm glad I did it. It was necessary, and it, it made me some very, very good friends who have helped me out a lot since being in the military so don't listen your community is community is very important y'all like don't don't sleep on the on the yeah. friendships and the connections you make along the way
1: and probably be surprised at those people that you do become friends with that you never thought that were you were going to become friends with because you may be at so all. opposite of each other um <laughs> however they're struggling just like you and you know sometimes we bond over <laughs> struggles so you are now at walter reed you are doing great things even though you're mad and you have <laughs> how many years do you have to do at Walter Reed?
2: So every program, no matter where you are, a civilian or military, your internship is always one year.
1: Okay.
2: Um, for most people, their internship is just the first year of their residency and it's basically just a continuation of whatever length of time the program or the specialty you're doing is. So mm-hmm. if that's OBGYN four years, normally your internship is your first year, but it's just the first of four. For me, the program that I was sort of forced into um, was the transitional year program, and it was one year as well, but it was just that one year. There was no specific thing connected to it that led on from there. Mm -hmm. It was one year because you need at least one year of post-medical training Mm -hmm. in order to get a medical license. So technically, to be any kind of licensed physician in the United States of America, you need four years of medical school and at least one year of training after medical school to get a medical license. So that was the purpose of my program, which to be honest, was really good. As much as I, I fought it tooth and nail, it was a very good program. I was number two in my internship class. I had a sparkling review and my program director still sings my praises. But putting that to the side. I needed that year to get a medical license, which I got at mm-hmm. the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And then at Walter Reed, and in the specific situation I was in, I was required to reapply to my residency because that's just how Navy medicine does it. So even though I was already at Walter Reed, I had to redo my application to basically secure my spot as a second-year resident. And when you are transitioning from first year to second year, they take less residents. That's just how it works. They they don't have the bandwidth to train as many people as they trained in internship. So they, what they do is they divert some of their residents to other jobs in the military temporarily until they can train them later. So unfortunately, since I didn't do my first year in OBGYN, it was easier to divert me because I didn't do a complete year already immersed in the program, which is part of the reason they do that, too, to make it easier of a transition. So unfortunately, I did not get my program choice as a second year either, um, which I was slightly less upset about because I kind of had an inkling it was going to go that way. Um, And so that gave me the option of picking a different job. And they gave me a lot of options for jobs to do with a medical license and uh, kind of what, what the term is, is a general medical officer a gmo okay Um, the options for a lot of uh navy officers out of internship you can do a flight surgery program so you go to pensacola florida and you train in how to be a doctor specifically for a group of pilots Mm. and that is what you do you're kind of like their concierge doctor you fly with them you go everywhere they go you take care of them you make sure that they're good to fly and they pass all of their physicals Um, everyone that has done that program has had wonderful things to say about it. Mm -hmm. So that's an option. You can also be a UMO or an undersea medical officer, which means you go to, I don't remember where they go at a different place Mm -hmm. and you train with the divers and you get a diving license. You are actually a certified diver when you finish the program and you take care of a group of divers and make sure that they're good. So very similar in those programs in that you train with them, you live with them, you You know, not live with them, but you travel with them, um, and you take care of them. You're you're their doc. And then outside of those two, there's the general medical officer, which is what I am. And those jobs can range from being on a ship and taking care of the sailors on a ship to moving to a foreign country and working on a base. And as you can see, I am in Bahrain, and that is what I chose, particularly because I'm not a strong swimmer and so I was not going to be an undersea or a diving doctor and I did not want to go to flight school okay I did not want to be in Florida for six months before even going to my job I just wanted to move Mm -hmm. I wanted to see the world and I wanted to get back to residency as soon as possible um so when the opportunity to come out to Bahrain came up I jumped on the chance because honestly, I didn't even know where Bahrain was in the world. And I talked to a lot of people who had been out there for various different short periods of time, and they mm-hmm. all had really positive things to say, say about the number yeah, the of
1: people of color second. out yeah. here,
2: about the the pay being you know, very good, mm-hmm. about the quality of life being very good. And it's just hot, which it is. <laughs>
1: We talked uh, about that. So, yeah. The so weather. Well. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's it's very hot. It's like 120 degrees in the shade in August. It's literally black flag. You can you will overcook a an egg on the sidewalk. Mm. Um, but if you can deal with that, then it's not really bad at all. And so, you know, being the adventurous person I am, I said, All right, I'll go to Bahrain. And here I am. Here you
1: are. And here you are. <laughs> what a story. that I'm this is clearly a two part. Uh, podcast episode (laughs) because there's just so much to your life that I I'm finding fascinating which is why as soon as I started this podcast I was just like I have to have her on here she does not been low-key stalking her um page Dr Langston rising right um question sure Why or, you know, what led to your focus of women's health? You know, and I know that you're a big advocate for reproductive justice. You mentioned that earlier. Was there something that serves as the catalyst for you to get into advocacy in this way?
2: You know, Crystal, I have been trying to figure that out for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I know. It's something that's always kind of been in my mind for many years, but I, I don't know if I've ever really been able to pinpoint that thing that, you know, you know everyone has that like, oh, that experience that was like, this is it, this yeah. is it. I, it's hard for me to say exactly what that is. I know growing up, I spent the majority of my time, most of my life around strong Black women. And that's to be honest, whether it be my mother, my sister, my dance teachers, my, I had a lot of black teachers as well. Shout out to PG County education. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I did, I spent a lot of time around all of these women who were like trying to, I don't know, do it all, right? Like raise families and have husbands and teach and, you know, have a career. And I don't know what it is. I was kind of in awe of them in a lot of ways most of all my mom, but really all of them, you know, and I had, I can remember as early as like eight or nine, I I had a dance teacher who was literally still trying to get us ready for the spring showcase, like up until days, weeks before, really days before she was supposed to like have a baby and she was like super, super duper pregnant, trying to like make us perfect this like one dance number and everyone, all the other teachers were like, We got it. You can go home and sit down. Like, she was like, No, this not right yet. Like, they not doing it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And like, her commitment to just be like, I know I'm not having a baby, but I still have a life was like, I don't know. It always was it, it, like, I found that to be so amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. They just, the word, I was surrounded by such strong women that I always wanted to be one, but also like, support that. Mm -hmm. And I think as I got older, high school and college, I started to do more volunteer work, both with Zeta and uh, other organizations in the, you know, Washington, DC metropolitan area. And I started to realize that there were a lot of gaps in support and resources and healthcare and education when it came to black women trying to, you know, quote unquote do it all. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out why because i knew that there were people who looked like me who were able to help and able to provide that support and those resources but it just never seemed like enough you know like we would i would volunteer at a planned parenthood and i would see all these kids who didn't know anything about safe sex or any of that stuff and i was like but do they not teach this in school i don't know I just, I saw more and more of it as I got older and I realized that like, it didn't sense to me. And I felt like it was a way that I could really like reach people and I could really help. Mm -hmm. And I was always looking for more ways to volunteer more organizations to get involved with and to really understand, like, I've always been a a, a top-down person. I I don't get caught up in the minutiae but I always wanna understand the big picture. So for me, it was like, okay, this is an area of, you know, um, this is an area of improvement. You know, this one thing with healthcare and contraception for Black women, but what's the bigger problem, right? Why does mm-hmm. one Planned Parenthood in Baltimore, the only one that provide mm-hmm. this service? What's going on with the rest of the state of Maryland? You know, what are the, the laws that are telling us we can't have this? What's going on on Capitol Hill that we don't have policy in place for this? Like, for me, it was like a hole. I just kept going down and finding more and more problems or more and more issues that mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, why is no one else as bothered by this as I am so I think for me it just became an obsession a little bit
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: a good one one, but let's call it a passion yeah let's go with that that's a better way to put it thank you Mm -hmm. I just really like like I said one little observation or you know here or there became something that I felt like was a big issue that more people were not addressing that we had the ability to address
1: I understand. I mean, that's the premise of STEM Sync, right? Is me looking at leadership, civilian leadership, and DOD within the engineering community specifically and wondering, where are we? Yeah. Why are we not there? And it just becomes you know an obsession, right? Um, But also just a passion and you start to step out. And then, you know, this is me stepping out. Where do you see yourself in terms of that advocacy as you move forward in your career?
2: Oh, that is a question. Now, if I knew the answer to that, <laughs> I'd be there already. No. Um, well, I mean, so I struggle with that because I never think I'm doing enough, right? I'm always like, hey, Yana, you could be doing this or you could be doing that. or You should be doing this, or you should be doing that. But realistically, I'll finish up my time in Bahrain. I got to go back to residency, whether I end up staying long-term in clinical medicine or not. Is neither here nor there mm-hmm. but i know from where i want to go the doors i want to open i need to get that training done so that'll be that's automatic whether it be at walter Reed or somewhere else mm-hmm. but i will go back i will finish my residency in in will once that's done though i gotta finish up all whatever obligation i have left with the military which if everything goes according to plan i will finish my residency and then i will owe the military approximately three years as a board-certified OBGYN, gyn um, which is not very long and I think will give me the, uh, the experience that I need to really make a different kind of observation, the observations that it's hard for me to make as a resident when I'm just doing the work. I'm not training. I'm not trying to learn, you know, how to do the job. But I'm just can take it to what it is and say, these are the patients that I'm seeing. These are their needs. Like, that's what I need to get. Once that's done, and I can tell you right now, I probably will not be staying in the military simply because my long term aspirations just do not match up with the direction that the DOD and the DHA is going in. Mm-hmm. They don't, that's not their focus. Reproductive justice is not their focus, but it's mine. So okay. I would say once I separate from that, it will definitely free me up to really do the kind of work that I want to do. And that's mostly in the nonprofit public health sector. Oh, oh. Um, I've had a lot of different ideas about how to go about that, you know, journals and moleskins galore of how to do that, right? There's a lot of ways to do that. Start my own 501c3, you know, um, get a job working as, you know, a clinical director of a Planned Parenthood. There's, there's a, so many different ways to have those effects. Mm-hmm. Get back to, you know, the public policy part of it and back to protesting and writing bills and making change. I don't know. The possibilities are endless, but I think I need to use this time to hone in on how. The how is where I'm missing. And -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. where my passions lie are in education
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, and the community and community outreach. Those are, I would say, my two biggest passions at this point. So I know at some point, education, right? Education for adolescents, educations for new moms, educations for just black women in general like we were just talking about that's gonna be part of it and then I gotta get back to the community you know whether that be DC or somewhere else but Mm -hmm. I've always been happier when I can like work with my own two hands and like see the fruits of my labor
1: So,
2: who knows where i will be but it'll be one of it'll be it'll be related in that area
1: I think it's fabulous that you're you are clear about your direction and at the same time still open to whatever comes your way and it seems as if that has been kind of a common thread for your entire education pursuits and even to where you are right now in that you know what you wanted to achieve and just allowed life to happen such that it's enabling you to become technically proficient and also just a very well-rounded individual as you navigate your career into what you plan to do in the future. And I definitely look forward to continuing to see your growth. I am so proud of you. And I know, I mean, your sister's best friend, my best friend, right? And it's just, it's still a little, you know, Ayana, you know what I mean, to me. And that's why I'm just like, I just am very proud of you for where you have just honed in your skill and you just continue to be your individual self. And I hope that listeners really grab on to the fact that sometimes you have to fit within the constraints within a certain amount but you can still do things your way and accomplish what you need to accomplish when they listen to to what you're telling them because if they know who you are it's just kind of like man she's still doing her thing even with um her free spirit and it's 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 really beautiful to see that so i definitely want to extend a heartfelt (laughs) congratulations to you for all of your hard work and where you from? One thing I always ask all of my guests to do is to provide a resource or some form of advice or something that they found valuable, which they feel would be of use to those who might be listening or coming up uh, the STEM pipeline in some form of fashion. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: Sure, would love to. So um, I know, So I'll I'll say, I'll leave it, I'll leave you with two. One is mentorship. I know I've said this a couple of times in there, but it's more a piece of advice. And really, I hope the listeners, especially those interested in medicine, take it to heart that the best thing you can do for yourself is find a mentor and and don't, you don't have to overdefine what that means to you, but find somebody who looks like you or doesn't. They don't even have to be
1: black. Or Or does it?
2: who has accomplished what it is you are trying to accomplish, who actually has firsthand knowledge of that thing. Because I think that is the piece that is missing with a lot of advisors at various universities, you know, people that might be close to you or love you, but if they have not done it, if they have not lived it, if they have not encountered all of the, you know, barriers and slammed doors, and they are not necessarily equipped to provide you the type of insight you can, you need to avoid those mistakes. I definitely did not have that until I was damn near in med school. Until I really met Dr. Latham Sadler, I did not have that. I didn't see all of the ways in which things could have been easier for me. I just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. So if that, if finding a mentor, if if medicine is something that you want, I urge you to find someone that has been through it, to look, at. And I, that's the best thing about that is, is Instagram is everywhere. There are so many doctors oh and goodness. pre-meds and people that you can reach out to. And honestly, I've said this to so many pre-meds. If my story resonates with you or anything I have said, um, you have a question about or just want some advice on my professional Instagram page at Dr. Langston Rising is always open. People that I've never met face-to-face message me on there all the time to ask for advice about medicine, and about the Navy, both, either or, really anything. And I am happy to do that because I did not have that for myself. And I think we need to cultivate that community as well. And that's honestly the best part about social media is being mm-hmm. able to cultivate a community of people you don't know that have shared interests and uh, aspirations.
1: Absolutely. So Absolutely. Uh, we
2: didn't talk about it a lot, but, you know, Crystal and other friends and Zoras have been trying to urge me to get back into my blog series called women talk Wednesdays where i discuss various topics that are near and dear to my heart but also relevant and necessary for women with a focus on black women issues so i will bring it back one day oh. but like i said anything i discuss whether it be obdyn or other women's health topics or just getting into medical school resonates with you please 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 find me on social media i will be happy
1: so That is my advice. That is awesome. And that's Dr. Langston rising. And I'll be certain to add that in the promo for this episode. Uh, Dr. Langston, thank you so much for your time. I know it is late over there. I have thoroughly enjoyed to eat anyway. So I'm still going to be up because I ain't (laughs) eating. That's the realness of it, right? Like, mm, I'm still hungry anyway, so I'm going to eat
2: well thank you so much crystal for having me this was honestly wonderful to talk to you
1: you are so welcome and if there are other women that you would love to who you think would be of good value to others um on the podcast I would love to have them on here as well you are like I said you're my first medical professional and I know that there are so many other people out there um, who have a wonderful story similar to yours so thank you for your time and thank um, you. I hope the listeners enjoy. I hope so, too. And I'm certain I'll circle back with you soon about all of your future endeavors. All
2: right.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you feel equipped and encouraged to stay the course along your STEM journey. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you are notified when a new episode is posted and share it with your contacts. You can listen weekly on your preferred podcast app or by visiting stemsync.net. I encourage you to become part of the conversation to help cultivate a network of support. Feel free to submit questions and topics with an email to podcast at stemsync.net or messaging stemsync.net via Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Thanks for the Link Up and Sync Up prototypes. Until next time.